Welcome to Mogul's interview series. I'm your host, Jessica Lips, and it's my honor to welcome this month's guest, PJ Morton. PJ was just nominated for two Grammy Awards, one for Best R&B Album and a second for Best R&B Song. We've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to stop there so that we can start hearing from him. PJ, thanks so much for being here. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. The news on everyone's mind is these recent Grammy nominations. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. I couldn't be happier. I worked really hard this year tried to make an album that I'm very proud of. And, uh, you know, it's great to be acknowledged by your peers. So special for me. Oh, that's great. The nominations just came out. So yes. have you celebrated? We did a little. We haven't officially celebrated, but we will. We will. It's time to get to work, too, you know, and let people know that these nominations are out and letting them know that we want we want to win. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So to that end, what does the work look like? What will your life look like between now and the Grammys? So basically, we're wrapping up this tour, which was a great way to keep me out there and let people know about the album and let people hear the music. But now it's just really about educating. It was so awesome about the Grammys and just being nominated, even if I didn't win, because I'm so grateful just to be nominated and, and recognized. But it really makes people who may have not been paying attention, pay attention. It's a big award. So now it's about getting to those people and letting them know what I put into the record, why this song is special, why it's nominated. So it's much like a campaign in that way, you know, just to make people aware. So I'll be on the road. I go to New Orleans. I always take December off off <laughs> for the most part. I'm going to do a residency every Tuesday in December in New Orleans, this special local thing that we do. Uh, but I'll just be grinding. I'll just be grinding. And I guess that also means more interviews. Absolutely. Press, press, press as much as we can to get the word out. So mm -hmm. what was the inspiration for this album, Gumbo, that was just nominated? And yeah. where did the title come from? Well, I was living in Los Angeles when I wanted to work on a new record. It was hard for me to get inspired at this time. I had been in Los Angeles for about five years and decided out of the blue to move back home to New Orleans. I had been gone 14 years. Me and my family moved. I just felt like it was time for a change. And I found some success, of course, with my band, with Maroon 5. Shouts out to Maroon 5. We just put out a new album. I love my band, but just personally, I felt like there was more I could be doing outside of just music. And all roads for me led to New Orleans. Is well, that where you grew up? Oh, yeah. I'm born and raised okay. in New Orleans. Yeah. Left home after high school, had never been back because of the dreams that I had, you know, kind of a ceiling in New Orleans. Of course, performance driven, home of jazz music. Uh, but there is a ceiling when you talk about getting to a certain level in the music business. So I had to leave, went to school in Atlanta and went to New York for a little while and then went to L.A. for a bit. I want to take the time to really go through your stories. You were in New Orleans yeah. and then you went to Atlanta mm -hmm. and that was to go to college? Go or? to Morehouse College. Morehouse, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. went, went did you study Atlanta. music there? Yeah. No okay. music. New Orleans raised me in music and I was always a little afraid of like learning music because a lot of times... The people who I saw early on in my growing in music, it kind of changed them. You know, the natural vibe that they had, cerebral instead of soul, your heart. So I said, I don't want to learn music. I know how to do music. I learned by ear, didn't know how to read music. It just was a gift. I didn't want to try to cloud the gift. So I was a marketing major at Morehouse. I love marketing. I love branding. That's something that you use on everything. And it became really valuable early in my career as an independent musician trying to 
make people pay attention to me and, and, and get my music out there. So I feel like it was a great decision. Music worked out. You know, that was yes, the thing that I did. <laughs> yes, but I wanted to do something else. So, yeah, I was a marketing major at Morehouse. That's what I got my degree in. So you said that you grew up and you learned music by ear. What are your instruments? What did you uh, practice when you yeah, were growing well, up? Well, piano right? is my main instrument. I play a little guitar. I started on drums, but I left that alone and went to piano. I play guitar and bass a little bit. But piano is the one that I really claim that I, that I play. And, and really, I learned in church. I would watch musicians in church play and then I would try at home and I would play along with like TV show themes all in the family and what's happening now and Golden Girls and Cheers. That's how I learned. I would play along with those shows. It was really just a gift. My dad said that he prayed over my hands in my sleep and here we are taking me far. That's amazing. And when you went to Morehouse, even mm-hmm. though you studied marketing, did you know that after college you wanted to do music? Oh, not just after college. That was always the plan. I got my first placement in music at 15 while still in New Orleans. I got my first check. I didn't know I was going to get a check. Like I didn't know that I was entering the music business. But I wrote this song and this group, Men of Standard, who's a gospel group, wanted the song. Took the song, recorded it. And I got a check for it. And I was like, oh, man, I would have done that for free. So now I know I can make a living doing music. So I was a very serious 15, 16-year-old. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I knew I was doing music. That's why I I chose not to study music. It was all gospel before then because that was the lowest hanging fruit. Preacher's kid, grew up in church. And gospel music was the closest thing for me to be able to write and actually, you know, get to the people who were recording it. But my second year in Morehouse, I moved off campus and met an artist in DRE. She had just signed to Motown and just finished her first record, but we became friends. My third year in Morehouse, she started on a new album. I had a song for her, gave her the song, and the album won a Grammy Award. So that was my junior year at Morehouse. So I was very focused and very clear that this is school, but I'm doing music. So I would go to class, and then I would go straight to the studio. And that, that happened for three and a half years before I finished school. Wow. And given the fact that you knew you wanted to do music and that you had success at age 15 with your first check, it's a little bit surprising to me that you even went to college. I think it's wonderful you did. Could you explain that decision a little bit? And and also how marketing fit into it? You said that you love branding and you love marketing, Mm -hmm. but did you know that you would be applying it to your own brand at the time? My brand or brands connected to me. I knew that I wasn't going to be at a marketing firm, you know, but I knew that I would need it to promote whatever I wanted to do, whether it be as a producer, a songwriter, or an artist, because I wasn't sure I wanted to be an artist yet, but I was producing and writing for other people. Mm. But I feel like even as a producer and a writer, when you're selling songs to people, it's marketing, how you're packaging it, how you're presenting it, Mm. all that's marketing, you know? So Mm. I knew that it would be helpful in life in general. The decision about going to college. Oh, right, right. Because I question that a lot, right? Because most artists had a head start on me because they come out straight 18 and they're in the industry and they have these years and they're young. And I said I was going to spend four years. It ended up being three and a half years, but three or four years in school and not being able to tour. I got offered tours that I had to turn down and stuff like that. I would question that a lot. But ultimately, I feel like it gave me an advantage because I was willing to work hard because I didn't just totally take off while I was at school. It gave me an advantage as far as knowing the business of music. And, you know, a lot of my peers who started off with me 
as independent musicians. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't around anymore. And maybe that was um, because of business choices, not because I was better than them musically or creatively, but I made certain decisions branding wise and marketing wise that made me stand out. And I attribute that to to school and just college kind of prepare. I guess it's like basketball players who go straight from high school or do one year of college as opposed to basketball players who go through college or go to their junior year and then go to the NBA. Mm-hmm. They're prepared. You know, they took a little more time. You got to learn on the job when you just go straight from high school, you know, to the NBA. So. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So you said that maybe you attribute some of your success to the principles, the branding and the marketing principles that you Absolutely. learned in college. Could mm-hmm. you give us an example or two? Man, it's little things that you wouldn't think I was adamant about having my own band when I would travel to places. So a lot of times these venues would invite me or they would have a, a soul music night or an R&B music night. And they were like, yeah, we have a house band. They'll learn your music. And, and I was like, is it cool if I bring my band? So some of those guys who were willing, and it may not have seemed like a big deal to them, to use the house band, whatever, right? I, sometimes I was annoying people probably because it's like, no, I want to bring my band. But just that little thing gave me a sound and a brand where it's like, yeah, PJ with his band is this thing. And that other person with that other band, we've heard that band play with all types of people. Little things like that, you know, where you think it may not make a big difference. But in 10 years, it's like, well, no, we want this special thing that we can't get all the time, as opposed to what we can hear every week at Soul Night with ex-artists who's coming to play with this house band. So it was little things like that, where it's like, it was hard, it was more expensive, I wasn't making any money making these decisions, it was more of a sacrifice, but then it paid off later on when when people could separate me from some others. I love that. So then you graduate from school, mm-hmm. and what happens next? I go straight on tour with Erica Badu. I was so thankful because like I tell you, I had to turn down certain tours just as a keyboard player because I still wasn't really an artist yet. I had started this band in college and we did a record, but like a solo artist, I hadn't made any music at that point. So as soon as I graduated, my friend who's the music director for Erica Badu, a drummer friend of mine, Gino, asked me if I wanted to come and play keys and sing background for Erica Badu. And I'm like, yeah. I do. I want to be in the business. I was like, man, okay, I'm not too late. I was only 21, but it just felt like 18 and 21 feels like miles apart for me, like getting out there and not having to say, no, I got class tomorrow. So I went on tour with Erica Badu. My first time on the road, my first time on a tour bus and really learned. She was an amazing boss, still is an amazing person. I just talked to her recently and she's still like so open and so welcoming and willing to help. But it was just a great first touring experience. And I literally had writer's block for the whole tour. I don't know, maybe six months. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to write songs and couldn't write songs. I tend to think you need to live first and then write, as opposed to trying to write while you're living, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So I was experiencing all these new things and maybe it was just too much, um, too much information. But as soon as I got off, It was the opposite of writer's block, which is like writing more than one song at one time. And that was the birth of my first solo record when I got off the tour. So that was 04, probably the end of 04. And I released it in 05. Great. What was that one called? Uh, Emotions was my first record. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's full circle now with Gumbo. The way I worked on this album is the way I worked on that album. 
at that time, it was out of ignorance. I just was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And this is the coolest thing. Before I knew certain things in the business, you know, certain pitfalls, I was just optimistic, right? And I thought I was going to sell 100 million records, you know what I'm saying? And then the reality set in. And then the years in between, I was just trying to edit myself and cater myself to fit certain things to maybe get to certain places. Mm -hmm. And this Gumbo album, not out of ignorance, but now out of freedom, I created that way and feel like I created my best work. So it's full circle for me, you know. So what happened in between Erica Badu's tour, getting off of it and writing all these songs, moving from playing in a band to mm -hmm. deciding that you wanted to do your own album? Yeah, so I got off the tour and started writing. And the band that I had while I was on tour, we kind of started breaking up. The oh. band that I had in college. My bass player, Ruben Studdard, was a friend of ours. My bass player in my band was from Birmingham. So Ruben Studdard won American Idol during that thing. And then he went on tour with Ruben. I was out with Eric. So we just kind of started going separate ways. So I was like, well, maybe I'm going to do a solo record. I never wanted to be a solo artist. I was always about the band. Never? But, not even when you were a kid? Not even when no. you were like five years old dreaming about the future? No, and... it was always about the camaraderie for me. Like, we're playing together. We're doing this thing together, which I got back with Maroon 5. And also, even though I'm a solo artist, my band, we've been together for 10 plus years. It's still that vibe, even though I'm the leader, you know? I'm a musician first, you know? Before I'm an artist, before I'm a producer, a writer, I'm a musician. So it's about us vibing first. And I've always wanted that. So that's probably why it's still like that. It's not like big me and little them. It's like we're all rocking together. That's great. Yeah. So I got off and I said, all right, I'm going to do a solo record. We're breaking up. I'm writing these songs. I guess they'll be my songs. Release that. This was kind of like right during MySpace, mm -hmm. but it really was a big success for me independently. It connected in a big way. CD Baby at that time. I was fully independent and I signed my first publishing deal right after that for like six figures. It was like a big deal. And the first thing I thought about was let's go on the road. And I took my band on the road. It's a funny story. My, my mom has a, a women's ministry mm -hmm. and they had a charter bus at the time that was pink, purple, and white. And I was like, mom, can I use your bus? <laughs> <laughs> so we'd be pulling up to these clubs. Cause again, the marketing branding, right? Told me, all right, if these people won't bring me to their cities, I'm going to pull up to their cities. So that whole tour, I told promoters, we'll just split the door. Whoever comes, you don't have to pay us anything. You don't have to bring back lineup. I bought all the instruments, all the speakers, whatever we needed with this publishing check, right? Like spent all my money. It's so crazy. Uh, but that decision is one of those decisions that separated me. And people remembered 10 years later because we formed these relationships with these promoters with these clubs, with these venues. Wow. And, you know, they respected that I was willing to take a risk to come with them not having to pay me or something like that. But we would pull up to these clubs in this purple and pink bus and people were like, is, is this a church conference coming to this club? Um, but those are like the great memories and really the things that started to separate me at the beginning of my career. So I did that and continued to make records. I made two more solo records after that. So after doing the first solo record, if you continued to do more, mm -hmm. you just felt like this is right for me. Doing a solo album feels good. Once that bug bit, like once I was in that solo space, yeah, because I could still get the band thing that I wanted, but still have control of what I wanted to say. See, the thing about a band is 
it's basically voting. It's like, all right, well, we want to talk about this. We want, you got to find a happy medium. But with my solo thing, it's like, I could say what I want to say and then bring all the guys along with me, you know? Um, so that was it for, yeah, I knew for sure that this was really my purpose. A lot of me not wanting to do it was just not wanting to be out front, kind of shy, playing. I don't mind hiding. I don't mind being the second guy or third guy in charge us breaking up, all those things was just really to push me into my purpose, which was to be the, the leader and who I really was. Mm. Yeah. Because you feel like you have a message that you want to share? Yeah, I think because my vision and my views and whatever the message is at that time and what I want to say, it's just important. And when I say important, I don't mean that in like a, my message is important. I mean that I was created to be exactly who I am, to reach whomever I'm supposed to reach. And that voice is important. And if I'm hiding behind other stuff, then we're missing some people and I'm missing some people that I'm supposed to touch and supposed to affect with whatever I have to say, whether it be a deep message, a heavy message or a light message, whatever it is, I'm doing creatively what I'm saying or musically, you know, because maybe the lyrics don't touch you, but the music does. But whatever it is I'm created to do, it pushed me to that, and I felt like that was important for whomever it's supposed to touch. Do you get any of that from your father? You said that you grew up a preacher's yeah. son. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think my upbringing is what taught me about the give and take, you know, the audience and the person speaking. That give and take, that call and response, is my childhood. My father was always bringing the message of hope, you know, to, to spread to these people or whatever the message was. It was always wrapped in hope and love. And I definitely think that comes from my upbringing, knowing that the message is important to inspire people and to make people feel good or to make people think, you know, it's not always about just feeling good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So back to the timeline, you released your first album and where does Maroon 5 come in to all of this? So Maroon comes in, I guess, after my second or third studio record, this album, Walk Alone. I remember because I was on a tour to promote the album. Okay. And I got the call, maybe with like three dates left on the tour. And I had to make a decision, another pivotal moment where it's like, all right, do I finish this tour and pass up this audition? Or do I go and do this? And at that time, I was kind of like at a plateau, you know, kind of like, man, I've done all this independent stuff. We keep playing these clubs and they're they're full, you know, people are there, but there's no more growth. What do we do? So it kind of came at a time that I was very appreciative of something else. So mm. I canceled the last three dates of my tour, went to L.A., and the rest was history, really. A music director friend of mine recommended me. They were looking for a keyboard player slash singer. And I went. I was the first one to audition. It was the first audition in my life. Now that we've gone to the timeline, you see that. Things are just lined up for me. I never had, to, when I got Erica Badu, it was a call from a friend, you know, it was already done. These guys didn't know me necessarily. So they're like, well, let's have them audition. But what was funny is they had never auditioned anybody. Maroon had been a band since their eighth grade. They were never expecting to audition a new member. So and what happened to the old member? Initially, it was six of us because Jesse, the original keyboard player, mm -hmm. wanted to take a break from the band and ended up taking a two-year sabbatical. And that's when I became visible. But I was in the band two years before I even became visible. I was just touring with the band, playing on the road, both me and Jesse. Okay. Then Jesse took a break. And that's when he saw the, 
the black dude just pop up in Maroon 5 <laughs> out of nowhere. And people were like, wait, there's a black guy in Maroon 5? But I had been in the band for two years. Then I started to be impressed in, in the photos. And the Overexposed album is the first album where I was actually like playing on the record. Hands All Over was out already when I joined the band. Mm-hmm. But the next one, I was a part of the album and kind of became a part of the band, you know. By the way, and how was yeah. that audition? <laughs> uh, Were you freaking out? Audition was not an audition. No, that's what I'm saying. It was awkward for both of us because we had never done that, either of us. Okay. From their side of us, right. we were like, well, just learn Sunday morning and we'll play that. And I'm like, all right. So we played it and then we were done and they were like, what else do you know? And I'm like, I know, you know, I know a lot of stuff. So we just started jamming, really. We connected right there, I think. It was more about the connection of who we were as people, because mm. a lot of people can play, you know? Right. It was like, okay, he can play. Is he cool? And you start to spend more time with those people than you do your own family. You're on the road all the time. So it's about who can vibe and just hang with us. They told me this after, because there was a second day of auditions, but there was somebody after me that day where they were like, we already knew, so we kind of just did it. So we played that one song and we're like, thank you. And then they canceled the second day of auditions. Kind of like, you know, meant to be. It feels like that now, too. We're so tight. You know, we're family. Were you also doing composing and lyric writing and no, producing? No, not really. No. Yeah, I took a back seat because I was a new guy, you know. And the guys didn't really know about my writing and production. As much as I did that, they, that wasn't really why they brought me in. They brought me in as a keyboard player and a singer. So I kind of played my part. Mm-hmm. And on that Overexposed record, it was mostly just playing keyboards on the album and live playing and singing, you know, singing background parts. So no, I took a back seat and I was happy to. It was kind of like, I was tired of being the leader for a second. Mm. It kind of gave me a break to just like be a part of something and like not have to demand all the attention and all of that. So it was a welcomed, refreshing thing for me. That's great. So then let's get up to the present, which is this album and moving from L.A. to New Orleans. So at what point in time did you decide that you didn't want to take a back seat anymore? You didn't need a break and Mm -hmm. you were ready for this album to come forth from you? And how does the move play into all of it? Even in Maroon, before I did Gumbo, I was still doing my music because I had fans. So I had to continue to do that. It just was I took a break. I had opened up tours for Maroon 5. I also signed a Young Money shortly after joining Maroon 5. Yeah, I signed to Lil Wayne's label to do another record. Take me from, here you are, this independent artist that has your own record label and you're doing it on your own. Yeah, I think I was just tired all around. For me, it's always about forward movement and growth, right? So whenever I feel like, all right, we've hit this next mark and it's great, how do we grow? Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, well, I've done these independent records. Let me try a major label deal, you know? Let me try that. And I learned so much being in a system. And I was so used to taking care of everything. They would laugh at me because they're like, you know, you don't have to pay for that, right? I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm used to paying for everything. I put out an album called New Orleans. I think it probably was a foreshadowing of me trying to go home, you know, because I made that record in L.A., but it's called New Orleans. The intro of the album is talking about me going back home, getting back to where I was inspired. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even really think about that. But I guess that was like a foreshadowing of of what was to come. Yeah. So um, I did that and Maroon, God bless him, allowed me to open up a Maroon 5 tour. I did double duty for a tour after I put out that record. Um, Me, Kelly Clarkson, then I closed as Maroon 5. Um, So I did double duty for a whole tour. Those guys are amazing. They didn't have to do that, you know, because I'm in the band, but it was just, it's just always been love and support. 
But after that record, I kind of was just like, you know, I got all this success with Maroon 5. I'm in L.A. and I was kind of just existing, you know, which I never like to just exist. Like I said, it's always about growth and being better and how do we get better. Yeah. At that point, I'd been in the band five years and I'm like, we see each other. Adam's so busy on The Voice. We see each other basically when we're about to leave on tour, you know, mm. or about to do a rehearsal. Or, but there's not any pop-ups like it used to be in the beginning where I needed to be in L.A. So I was like, well, maybe I'll go home and create something and inspire people. Because in L.A., people have so much competition. People have what they need. In New Orleans, it's like, let me create something where people don't have to leave like I did if they want to pursue a dream or pursue music because there's not much music business infrastructure in New Orleans. So I said, I'd rather create something and fill a void as opposed to just existing. And that's when the seed for New Orleans kind of started in me. When is this? Maroon 5, we did Jazz Fest in New Orleans 2013. Okay. Because before that, I never wanted to move back home. Holidays, I'm like, a week is long enough. Let me get back to where I am. But 2013, I was with the band instead of like my family. And I'm like, man, this is a cool city. I never saw it this way. I saw it with different eyes. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was because after success, I was so gung-ho on like, let me get out of here so I can be successful. And then I, I realized, oh man, there's some success. Now I love this place. And I think that's when it started. So 2015 is when I made that decision to say, all right. I think I'm going back home. That's when you actually made the move. So I went back home and then just got so inspired by the creative freedom there. And then Gumbo, I started working on this record, really saying, I have success. I don't need to chase success. So I'm going to make a record that is just pure love. And I'm not going to think about the marketing of it as much as my brain does that. I'm not going to think about radio. Purely love and creativity. And that's why it's so special that it's getting the love it's getting. Because all I had to do was be myself. That's so cliche. It's hard to do. It's hard to say, oh, man, I'm not going to do something that I think will please somebody. Let me just please myself. So the fact that it's, you know, here, best R&B album, it's like, it's a dream come true, really. Like, I'm just so grateful. Congratulations. Thank so, you so well much. deserved. I assume that this is not just the beginning because you've had several albums, but mm -hmm. I assume that we'll be seeing many more albums from you. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah, it's just this another is... restart, you know, just allows me to get to the, to the next place. Always growth, you know, and, and being better. So this is inspiring to let me know that I'm on the right path still, so. That's great. And Gumbo, there are actually two things I want to mention. One is, tell us about the title, because mm -hmm. one of the things that strikes me about your album is that the music isn't all traditional R&B. Yeah. And Gumbo, it's a food, but it's a mix of different things, and mm -hmm. so I wonder if Gumbo is, is like the mix of music. And yeah, well, the, the two things that where the title comes from is the fact that this is the first time I made it in New Orleans. And it's a mixture of not just sounds, because I've always been inspired by different sounds, mm -hmm. but subject matter, I usually focus heavily on love and relationships. And this album, I wanted to mix subject matters. So I talk about religion, I talk about racial tension, I talk about fake friends, I do talk about love, I talk about going through phones, you know. But I wanted it to be a mixture. I didn't want to just talk about love this time. I wanted to also reflect the times, you know, of what's going on in the world. And I want people to go back to Gummo and say, this is what was happening right here in the world. That's where the title comes from. I made this dish in New Orleans. And uh, that's gumbo to me. It's great. Um, another thing that struck me about the album is that it is so full of positivity. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, are you really that way in real life? I am. Yeah, I tend to not focus on the negative. I mean, I know it's there. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't think that accomplishes anything, right? Just focusing on that. So I focus on 
what the positivity can do to that. Because the, the only way we fight hate is with love, you know. So uh, that's really me. Yeah, that's not, that's not, I'm not putting on for that. Yeah. And where do you get that from? Is it from your upbringing Probably with your dad? Probably my upbringing, or? yeah. I mean, that's, like I said, that it's always wrapped in hope, you know. And, and for us as believers, we know the ultimate is going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right, ultimately, no matter what happens in between. So, yeah, that comes from my, my upbringing for sure. I wish we didn't have to wrap up, but before we do, I have one final question. The music industry has changed a lot Mm -hmm. in the past few years, and it's not always easy for artists to reach the level that you have. And I'm just wondering for any upcoming aspiring artists, do you have any advice or words of wisdom or anything you want to impart? Well, I would say ultimately just focus on the thing that makes you different, not the thing that makes you the same. Focus on the thing that makes you different and may be harder in the beginning and unpopular in the beginning, but ultimately you start to separate from all the people that are the same. And then you stick out and you're able to have a career as opposed to just being successful right then in the beginning. So I would say, find that thing that makes you different, makes you weird, makes you whatever, and perfect that. Life advice. Love above all. I think if we love more, man, you know, the world would just be such such a better place if we just love more and listen, listen and communicate more. I think communication is is a form of love because you're willing to listen and talk. Well, um, you've just done that so beautifully. We've just done that here in this interview. And PJ Morton, thank you for your time today. Great being with you and all best success with the Grammys. We are so happy for you you and we look forward to watching. I can't wait. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. This is Jessica Lips with Mogul Interviews. We'll see you next time.